dialed in to Box and Brews, you might hear something you can use. Like tips on your cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these studs. Because they know the brews. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself some beer money. Bucks. And brews. Bucks and brews. And brews. Bucks and brews. Welcome back to Bucks and Brews. Uh, Nick, I was not here last week. Yeah, congrats. Thanks. I was on a cruise and it was fucking fabulous. <laughs> uh, and actually on Tuesday night, I was really drunk. <laughs> so you were really on the cruise. Uh, I had a Nick night that night. You know, those are good nights. <laughs> so it seems it like you're pretty good. You brought your drinking back with you. What are you, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm starting tonight with a CEO stout from Right Brain. Okay. And uh, actually I'm not. I'm starting tonight with a vanilla Java Porter from Atwater, and then I'm drinking the CEO stout from Right Brain. I thought you were so you were drunk already. I am not. What do you got, my friend? I uh, tried and true, always blue Bud Light. This is a great beer. And then uh, I only have a few left from this Mobcraft kit that we had, but I have a Mobcraft Amber Amber Ale. Um, part of my 24 days of beers. So there was something you were going to add to the beginning of every show. Now you remember oh, what that yeah. was? I say, guys. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. Um, as always, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, we try to bring in great guests. Speaking of great guests, uh, Noah, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Well, uh, I'm drinking water, as I said before. Uh, not nearly as exciting. It's all right. Um, so I'm a recreational mathematician and a algorithmist and uh i'm working on a project to change how price discovery functions in commodity markets all right uh so david loves commodities i, I knew you were gonna say <laughs> somebody has to throw somebody under the bus or how are we going to get this party started right <laughs> he, he does this because back in 2008 my mother and my aunt decided to take a bunch of their money and throw it into fucking grain grain and my mother for example put about fifteen thousand dollars in grain and it's worth a robust three thousand dollars right now and nobody will buy the shit yeah let's say i got a i got a horse that might eat it so you want to buy it three thousand dollars talk talk to tony he he'll be all about it <laughs> so all right you're you're trying to you're trying to make an algorithm to to judge the timing of when it's going to go up and down no no so what i've found is a way to structure a marketplace so that it changes the relationship between the producers the consumers and the informed forecasters in a way that lowers the overall cost of the marketplace while simultaneously raising the return on investment that successful forecasters achieve okay um and so you're are you building this for a large corporation or for individuals um so you would you effectively have to be a large corporation to to deploy a market at scale um what i'm doing is the technology end so uh, i've written code that will do this uh, i'm working on getting a patent secured for that that's a crazy story if you're into crazy stories oh, yeah, absolutely uh, are so you and, kind of uh, a crazy story yeah so um i I put in the preliminary patent, which gives you like a year 
uh, to get your full patent application in. And I wanted to work with an attorney because while I have had some patent applications prosecuted, um, other businesses did all the heavy lifting on that. Uh, unfortunately, it's difficult to find attorneys with expertise in, in patent law and market law that don't have conflicts with somebody that's attempting to wipe out the entire way that finance presently works. Um, so, so that was a struggle to find an attorney. I, we got the full application in about two days ahead of the deadline. And um, then we got to wait around for uh, about three years for oh, the geez. patent office to get back to us because that's pretty normal, actually. Um, we had a couple of back and forths, um, mostly with them uh, trying to come up with some kind of prior art, none of which actually stuck, and making us put in some redundant uh, uh forms to make themselves feel better so that they actually had to do something. Uh, and then I got a notice of acceptance and that was in late 2019. My attorneys then got a call from my examiner's boss saying that the notice of acceptance wasn't going to actually be honored and it subsequently wasn't actually honored. Um, they eventually came back with an argument that uh, this system had no algorithmic advantage over the existing system and the entire previous several years of back and forth uh, was actually about describing the precise algorithmic advantages it had. So uh, we put together a very sharply worded statement to that effect. Um, February of last year, they relinquished and gave me a second notice of acceptance. And three weeks later, that one was withdrawn as well. Um, no one I've ever spoken to in the patent space has ever heard of a double acceptance withdrawal. The reason for this second one um, is that they can't explain why they're doing it. Uh, there's an internal department at the patent office called the Quality Control Department. Uh, you're not allowed to communicate with them, or, well, nobody is. Uh, and my examiner and my examiner's supervisor claim that they can't understand what they're doing or why they're doing it. So they can't explain it to me either. So uh, my patent is, is heading to court. Um, it's currently being denied for no coherent reason. Um, the patent office was refused to explain to anybody, even my congressional office, what's going on. Uh, and we'll see what the courts think once it gets there. If I, it sounds like a judge is going to say yes or no here on this. Um, that's congrats to you on batting a thousand for uh, getting screwed over. Um, yes. Yeah. The government sure seems to have their crap together. Don't um, they always? So, um, no. What what benefits? Um, I guess what benefits are you are you bringing to? So you're wanting to do this, sorry, you wanted to do this on your own and, and sell it at, by yourself or, or is it for your company? Um, so yeah, I have a company that sort of encompasses the IP. I'm looking to sell or license that IP to people with the resources to actually build out uh, a, a marketplace operator. Okay. Um, I would also be willing to partner with uh, or, or, you know, if, if, 
somebody handed me a winning lottery ticket, you know, build a functioning marketplace operator, but um, I don't have the resources for that. So sure. this is this is sort of my path. Um, I'm working on the patent, so it's patent pending inside the United States. There's uh, published code that's up on GitHub, uh, a buddy of mine and I collaborated on, and that's under uh, one of the Creative Commons licenses, which doesn't supersede patent. So outside the United States, it's open source. Inside the United States, it's patent pending. Sure. Um, and, and now it's strictly for commodities, nothing else. Well, the thing that makes it go is that producers and consumers have a common interest in having a common marketplace. And so they're effectively willing to spend money figuring out where prices should be negotiated to for them to come together and make trades. Sure. Um, so it works in any environment where there's bilateral-ish uh, competition on the production and consumption side of a given thing. So it, there are services that have that trait. There are a handful of financial issues that have that trait. If you really got crazy, you could alter the regulatory environment and make more of them have that trait. But yeah, um, uh, certainly for initial, I'm looking for underserved uh, markets, things that are close to commoditizable, be, but they're either not big enough or not regular enough under ordinary circumstances to, to quite make the bar to be able to support an existing. So, you know, maybe if, if your market would have to get 10 or 100 times bigger, this market's a lot less expensive uh, to, to operate. So it could be a it could be a bridge there to get it rolling. And then because these markets are algorithmically more, more effective than the existing market design, once, once anybody anywhere gets one of them rolling, then that becomes a demo to sort of everyone everywhere. Uh, so if, if kumquats start getting traded like this, not just frozen concentrated orange juice and wheat and corn, but also, you know, iron and, and coal and electricity are all going to notice that, hey, there's a much better game in town that we could be playing. And, and let's, let's try to get onto that game instead. Sure. Um, and I say, now what, I guess, can you give us some examples of some smaller ones that you might see it be used for? Because um, you were describing like big, large... Uh yeah, so I'm, I'm working with a few people around the world to try to get things set up. Um, the leading one, there's a guy in South Africa that's trying to set up a, an index for coal in South Africa using the technology. Uh, I've also worked with several different uh, people trying to get different blockchain uh, type things going. Uh, and so there's a guy I've been talking to that's trying to raise funding in Singapore for a DAO to do... Um, uh, synthetic derivatives trading and using uh, this technology basically to manage the commission structure for the derivatives trading. Oh, so sure. That would be an example of, of a financial instrument that, that has the property that, sure. that this needs to, to be able to operate. Okay. So, yeah, so that clears up things because I mean, right. So it's, it's a specific person, I guess. Um, Cause coal, right. It's a huge commodity already. It's so it's not, necessarily the commodity itself you're talking about each individual company being able to get better for that like the south africa guy he's he's small currently 
Right. Okay. But you so, know, if if he gets if he gets a good regional index going and that index has better data on it on <clears> average than the major indices do, yep. because of the way arbitrage works, people will take that information and essentially bid those other indexes into the ground. Yeah. Uh, and that would allow him to bring on customers within his region, across regions, and so on. So yep. there's there's a lot of potential there. And I think that's great. I mean, right. We're talking about taking, I mean, literally taking the, the big dogs and having them come down because now, now we're going to have smaller players being able to get up into, into this range. If it works. Right. I mean, that's plain and simple. I mean, now we're, I mean, now we're hopefully, I mean, hopefully it's a cost savings for everybody across the U S at that point. You know? uh, yeah. Yeah. So U S government figures from about a decade ago. Uh, and that's, the frequency at which they used to publish those figures. So there might be some new ones coming out in a year or two, and there might not be. Uh, that program got canceled uh, a while back. But uh, but that number from 2014 was uh, just shy of $800 billion was the cost overhead of commodity exchanges. Sure. Um, and $800 billion is, is a very big number, even in the context of the American economy. So cutting that number down would effectively increase the growth rate of the American economy by the amount that you cut it down. Yeah. Um, and the trend lines, the, the expense of marketplaces has been increasing um, pretty much since computerization was introduced in, in like the late 70s to early 80s. Um, so we should expect the existing model just on algorithmic grounds to keep getting more expensive and less stable, uh, unless, unless they just, you know, sort of lose the plot so much that, uh, they decouple from the economy entirely and, and things get really, really bad at that point. I say, and well, the economy is going to go bad. Let's say, let's just, but no, um, now I, I think, so you want this to be a global thing. Um, so currently is, so you mentioned a couple different places. How many people are picking this up? Are you selling it? But you said it's, it's a GitHub. So anybody can go there and they're pulling this, the guy out of, is it Hong Kong? I'm so sorry. Uh, there's a guy in Singapore. Singapore. So yeah. So it's open source. I don't really have a good sense of how many independent open source projects, my guess would be zero. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get things as public published out as possible, but uh, um, it, I haven't come up with a, a thoroughly clear, simple explanation of exactly how it works yet. Um, so to date, everyone I've encountered has needed several conversations with me to get a bead on how this thing actually works. So I'm guessing it probably is still in that state. Um, I, one of the reasons I come out on podcasts, talk to, to folks like you, is to work on that, to, to figure out what, how to explain this to, to just random people from around the world. Uh, and, and so that's, that's what I'm doing here, basically, is uh, if I can get you two to understand it, or anybody in your audience, um, right. that's just that's just sort of bonus win for me. So, where did you come up with the idea to to do this for commodities? 
Um, so commodities are the strategically simplest market structure. Uh, basically what happened was uh, I was working on different kinds of communication systems from a, from a computing point of view, um, specifically from a, an efficiency of producing consensus. And I had this idea that this sort of one shot, which was uh, kind of this idea of how to do very efficient project management could be turned into a marketplace if you could make it recursive. Um, so if it was sort of turned back on itself and doing its own project management, that intuitively felt to me a little bit like what marketplaces do. Marketplaces are bringing buyers and sellers together around a common price that's, that's doing some you know, information outreach aggregation consensus. So I decided to try to solve that problem just because it looked like an interesting kind of problem to try to solve. Uh, my expectation, because I'd, I've been through Econ 101 and 201 and stuff like that, uh, was that at best, I would be able to match the performance of the existing market model. Uh, what I discovered in solving the problem was that uh, while the sort of price outputs would be roughly equivalent because the existing markets tend towards actual market clearing prices and these markets also tend towards market clearing prices. Um, what I could do is change the cost structure of the marketplace. And that's Sorry, so, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah. Can you dive in a little bit on that? Explain. explain so the core, yeah, the core thing is I found a way to actually measure information in the marketplace. Okay. So we think of trades as person to person. So you've got $15,000 of grain that, that's worth $3,000 and you'd like to sell it to somebody for some amount of money, uh, they, have, they have, you know, some amount of money and they want to buy grain. The two of you cut a deal, you know, and, and you're both happy. Well, in a person-to-person -person arrangement, that's perfectly decent, but people are big, complex systems, and so there's a lot of sort of hidden things going on there. And in a broader market sense, there's a lot of hidden action happening there. So what's really going on is that there's the money, there's the stuff, the grain in this case. Yep. There's also the information about what is and isn't a good deal. And those three things are all totally separable objects. And so what my system does is it sets up three separate marketplaces, one for stuff, one for cash that wants to buy stuff and one for information about where prices ought to be. And those three markets essentially are hooked together in a way that they're mutually cooperative with one another. So what's going on is that as an individual, instead of sort of being in hyper competition with everybody else in the market at all times. Yeah. You're in hyper competition with everybody else that's in your market 
if you're a farmer that's got grain or just some poor schmo that happens to have, you know, a delivery in your backyard, you're competing with everybody else that has grain to try to get your grain to marketplace. But you have a cooperative relationship with everybody in both of the other markets, which might even include you with your speculator hat on. So this, this ability to combine the cooperative and competitive aspects simultaneously and refine each market to do one specific job very well creates a sort of mutual triangular arch, if you will. Um, and so then that's the, that's the thing I'm pitching uh, effectively. I've designed the computer program that's the keystone to this three-way arch that somebody that's got deep enough pockets and a good enough Rolodex can put together a customer base and, and enough you know, legal backing to actually be able to make these relationships go and, and enforce the contracts and so on. Well, I know with commodities, you know, in, in my experience, it's one of those things where people don't have a good hold on how to invest I, in commodities. I agree. I mean, it's not all we ever hear about is the S&P and the Dow. And all right. That. It's it's much easier to, you know, take $20 and open up a brokerage account or something and, and just buy a stock or, or an ETF or some, something of that nature. And you know, commodities are one of those things that kind of like I would say crypto is a little bit scary to people. <laughs> We're going to do an episode. We yeah. are. We are eventually. Yes. Um, so it sounds like this would also help people that are more novice when it comes to commodities, you know, understand it a little better, understand how to invest in it a little better. Am I wrong? Uh, well, so it could make it a lot clearer. Um if you're if you're a novice, if you don't really know what you're doing, it's it would be unwise to step into the knife pit that is the informed speculator uh, thing, even with the incredibly high returns that would be intrinsic there. Uh, but one thing that the, the experts on commodities are by and large the producers of commodities, and one of the the things that's happened to society in general is that with the move to urbanization and services so few people actually make anything anymore that we've lost a lot of that. And one of the major reasons for that is that as these markets have become more volatile and consequently more expensive, the margins in farming or logging or mining or even more high level sort of commodity production, like tool production, some, some, some like, you know, bolts, stuff like that, have all gone very low. Um, and that means that uh, sort of big corporations have essentially taken over and it's not the kind of thing where you can start a, a, a reasonable business out of your backyard to, to get into the commodity space particularly easy. If those, if those transaction costs drop a lot, then not only would starting up like a micro farm or, or some other small production shop become something that would be more practical just because the transaction costs are down. And so you can just, you know, have a few things and toss them in, but also the, the, the return rate. So commodity production is a low margin business. Um, uh, I was just looking recently, apparently in the sixties, the, the, you know, table to, to ranch spread for beef 
was about 40 cents. It's now 61 cents. Um, if that if that were to shrink back, if it were to get to like 50 cents, say, uh, then then raising a cow would suddenly become 25% more profitable. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, small players can kind of jump into these marketplaces and 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 get the kinds of returns that allow you to get your feet wet, learn the ropes, scale up. And, and that's, where, that's where this sort of general economic boost comes from with these transaction price drops is that when you're looking around at what you can do, you can be like, well, I could, I could form a new service business uh, or maybe I could actually go raise some chickens or, or you know, turn the garden into a truck farm or something like that. And if the, if the ROI is a lot better on production and a lot more people are producing, then there's just a lot more stuff. Uh, and that, that makes everybody better off. Right. It's usually true, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, or, or, you know, out. open a new brewery. Um, I say hops, hops are a thing. They are. <laughs> to say, um, you know, one of my, sorry, I just looked it up quick, but we were talking about how, you know, 20 bucks, you can actually just start getting into. So I've, things people don't know what, about me. What'd you do? I've done commodities before, okay. right? Because I thought I was okay at trading. Um, in order to get into commodities, you have to have $25,000 just to start out. Yeah. Like this isn't, this isn't the little boys club at this point, right. right? Like commodities are the most fragile thing I've ever seen in my life. You, you literally, I mean, all right, I got lucky. That's all I'm going to say. I got lucky, but really you could lose your ass quickly. Um, well, yeah, it's one of those things where commodities usually shoot super high Yeah, when the market's super low. I'm going to say, um, I just, I, I happened to trade it quickly um, and, and it jumped. But um, now, you know, so on that side of things, do you think, with what you're intending to do, the government will make a change because now it'll be easier to actually see the, the, the jumps and way everything are, would it be a way to get it? So we're not having to do 25,000 to get in. So the way my system works is the, that forecasting piece, which is where these price swings that you're talking about would occur essentially has an arbitrage in arbitrage level. So what happens is, people speculate about where they think the market price level is going to be. So they're not trading, they're not offering to buy or sell, you know, a train load full of corn oil, for example. Nope. They're saying, I think that train loads full of corn oil are gonna be worth $24,000 instead of $25,000. Nope. Um, and so what the market does is it integrates people's information together to come up with the consensus price that right. everybody believes. And it does that separately for each trading period that exists. So like every separate day can have its own price that's equilibrating towards where it thinks prices ought to be. Um, and so what happens at that point is you can potentially get in for incredibly tiny amounts of money because your integration, maybe you think prices should be $100 higher. But as long as you've invested enough to move prices even one penny higher, 
that that will get recorded into the system. Mm-hmm. So with something like that, maybe only one ten thousandth of the full amount that would allow your entire belief system to be integrated would actually be necessary for you to get started. And since that information, once all integrated, is then published and utilized by the entire marketplace simultaneously, and the commissions across the entire marketplace are used to pay off the people whose information was useful, basically, to that consensus. So this gives an incredibly high rate of return. So even if you've only got 25 bucks to get started, if you actually know something about where the corn market is going, you're going to be seeing 100% returns, or really, it's a, it's a free variable. When the person sets it up, they can decide essentially how high they want to reward people that are successfully super predicting. Sure. So they could, they could decide 100%, 200%, 1,000%. All that you're doing is you're lowering the cost of getting into the marketplace. Um, And so in an environment like that, you're going to find that you get up to the point where you have all the money you need to to integrate all the the bets you can make. Um, Because it's not sensible for you to essentially bet against your own own beliefs about where price is going. and, and to the extent that your beliefs about where price is going is actually where price heads uh, at the broad market level, uh, you're gonna get uh, this insane return. So people who right now you know, might be operating in an environment where a, like a, a trading house might have its sales floor and some brokers and a research wing and maybe some, you know, people going out there to try to find some whales to, to give them tons of money to, to throw into the fund. Basically, the research wing will all be able to duplicate their own, their old checks just out of, you know, pocket lint initially. And after six to 12 months, they'll, they'll be able to, to replicate their check or do better. And the rest of those guys can go find jobs in the now booming you know, farming or, or whatever business. Okay. Um, so sorry, I have a million questions. We're writing like, we're writing like crazy. Um, all right. So with, with commodities, especially in the farming industry, right? We've brought that up a few times. Um, the government has a guarantee or you can get an insurance basically on your crops to say, Hey, you are going to guarantee this amount of money. Um, how does it affect your algorithm um, when it comes to, let, let's just say apples, right? So if we have a frost here, we live in the Midwest. Sure. Um, if we have a frost and, and it ruins things, you're guaranteed as a farmer to still make this amount of money. But the cost of apples, right, of course, are going up because there is no apples at this point. So the supply wasn't what they thought it was going to be, right? Farmers Almanac lied to us all. This is what it is. I mean, how, how does that guaranteed money from the government affect <laughs> your algorithm? Well, since my algorithm is essentially taking on board all of the opinions of everybody that's in the marketplace that wants a rate of return, uh, my algorithm doesn't really get affected at all. Those people are aware of that fact about their marketplace. And even if all of them aren't aware of that, some people are aware of that about that marketplace. And so those people with that information can essentially bid that knowledge into the system. So this, this algorithm doesn't have any of its own opinions about things. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, sort of 
mechanism that takes on board the opinions and signals from the other players and then creates the, the sort of fair medium. So the, the thing that's cool about markets is that since everything bought needs a seller, the right answer, if you will, is the middle answer. Um, you know, uh, if, if you have something that you want to sell for, you know, six to $5,000 and you want to buy it for, you know, four to $6,000, you could wind up anywhere between five and $6,000 and you'd both be happy. But as we start adding more and more players on both sides, those overlapping ranges are going to start having a, a sort of very narrow set where a lot of people are simultaneously overlapping. And it's the market's job to find that max overlap value. And basically, once you get up to at least 50 people in the game, um, this system will find that value for those people. So, and that, because we're, we're talking about amounts of people, I'm like, where, where's your data coming from? Like, where is it currently being pulled? So the data comes from the players in the marketplace. And so that's why it's so vital to actually get markets set up. So you're pulling uh, the bulls and the bears in theory. So, so they get to come in. So let's say, let's say you're a bull, you're a bear. So you're like, oh, the market's going up. Here's, here's tomorrow's price, next week's price, next month's price, next year's price. And here's my money. And you're like, oh, no, the market's going down. Here's tomorrow's price, next week's price, next month's, next year's. Well, I'll take that on board. I'll integrate, you know, something from you, something from you, something from you, something from you. It all integrates together along with all the other people's, you know, opinions. And every day, so tomorrow's another day, you can go back in, you can, you can put in your beliefs again. And so what the system will do is day by day, it updates everyone's beliefs about tomorrow and, and you know, points in the future uh, across the entire system. And so you get to see what, how your opinions are working against everyone else's opinions cool. uh, and, and decide how you, wanna, how you wanna keep playing this. You get to watch what, what sort of builds up. Um, so you can think of it in terms of speculation. You can also think of it in terms of negotiation. So the, the farmers and, and the, the manufacturers know what their own unit economics are, they can bid that information into the system and it will equilibrate that too. So um, if, if you have a reason to believe that you know what's coming down the pike, um, you know, you're a climate scientist that's just done some really great modeling and you've got a good picture of what weather in the Midwest is gonna be like for the next five years, bid that in. You know, if those apples are gonna freeze, then those prices are going to go up, um, and and you should you should profit from letting the world know that. Uh, but uh, but that's that's the game. It's 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 totally indifferent. It's uh, it offers completely symmetric values whether the market goes up or down. The the that part of the marketplace is measuring accuracy. How correct are you? How far into the future are you correct? Sure. Um, so we look at, right, 
how long you, you've had this out since before 19 and so when, when you had this in 2019 have you been running this are, are you currently investing in your own stuff and, and seeing this work no marketplace exists that's using this technology yet that's okay. that's what i'm working on is getting a marketplace in place that would use the technology okay um okay because you're not pulling the data there's no data to pull like this 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 isn't this isn't something that like reads the new york times and figures out what tomorrow looks like right this is a thing that allows people who believe that they have information about what tomorrow looks like come together and test that and get rewarded for the extent to which they're correct so this is truly like an open source type yeah yeah. Th yeah this is this so uh one of the things that I've, i'm trying to popularize is that markets are actually the world's first super intelligent ai um and this is a new algorithm for doing market intelligence and unlike the existing markets which use a single approach basically markets are functioning off of supply and demand which is not bad but it's a it's a very stimulus response type of a thing uh you know the bulls and bears what this is doing is it's creating a meta algorithm essentially any algorithm that anybody can come up with so if it's just supply and demand and no human beings can do any better than that that's fine it does that but if anybody comes up with anything that's working better uh in any context for any length of time, then this system will gain the benefits of that while it's working. And once it stops working, it'll start ignoring it. Hmm. And, okay. No, sorry, so it, I mean, it, now it's, how, how often is your algorithm pulling the data? I mean, is it, is it, it's on a constant? Yeah. Could it be on demand or? It could be on demand. My, my expectation is that you'd want to set up uh, trading windows based on the actual logistical needs of the underlying good in question. Mm -hmm. And so for most commodities, you're going to be talking a daily or weekly trading window. Um, and, and so basically that would be the rate at which this would update. So you could have continuous update, uh, continuous draw in, but it would only actually update on a daily basis. So say for, from midnight to, you know, today to, to, you know, midnight tomorrow, people can put in beliefs about what they think tomorrow and next week look like, but the system's just going to store them without telling anybody. And then at midnight, it will, you know, turn off for a couple seconds, do all the calculations and figure out what the changes were. And then it will start back up and republish and say, okay, this is, this is the new picture of what tomorrow looks like. Here's why we think that, you know, this is what everybody said and, and what happened when we integrated the information. If anybody's got new information they want to stick into their accounts, you can start right now. And meanwhile, if anybody actually wants to trade at the, these prices, you know, go into those markets and announce how much you want to sell or how much you want to buy at the prices that have been negotiated. And, and we will, we will balance those off and, you know, make those, make those trades happen. 
So what, I guess, what stops, uh, I mean, a Jeff Bezos from dropping a trillion dollars and screwing the market? So, yeah, I actually call this uh, the Bill Gates gets an aneurysm scenario. Uh, <laughs> and so what happens is that you can do a lot of damage to the market for a short period of time, which is true right now. Uh, but if you do that, the buyers and sellers aren't guaranteed to show up. So my basic model is, let's say Bill Gates gets an aneurysm and decides that since copper gets used more commercially than gold does, it should be worth more than gold is. Yep. So he jacks the price of copper up to $10,000 an ounce. Okay, he's really rich. He does that. Price of copper is now announced to be $10,000 an ounce for the next six months. What happens? Well, demand for copper collapses instantly, right? Nobody wants to actually buy this $10,000 an ounce copper that insane Bill Gates thinks should exist. So the market drops its volume. And so the, car, the, the copper market says, oh, I'm not a big copper market that's doing you know, thousands and thousands of tons of copper every day. I'm a tiny, tiny copper market that's doing virtually no tons of copper every day. I must be very, very cheap to change because nobody really cares what I think. And so now, the you know this person with twenty five dollars who's noticed that Bill Gates is obviously just going insane goes in and sets copper prices back to right where they were before, which is by the way part of the public record and is 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 right there. Bill's money is resident in the system, and so it's basically paying people to come in and and take it all back. And at the same time, the cost of buying it back has dropped significantly because the marketplace has shrunk. So for a tiny fraction of the money he used to destroy the marketplace, people can go buy that money for themselves. And basically anybody with a couple nickels to rub together will do so. Uh, the market after a day or three fully recovers. Um, the money that was, that was poured in ain't coming back to, to Gates or Bezos or whatever other madman did this. And manipulating markets is, is seriously you know, illegal. And right now there haven't been very many cases brought because it's relatively difficult to, to come up with you know, solid cases that you've attempted to manipulate a marketplace. But thanks to the way this thing's structured, a very clear criminal case will now be made out. And the operator who's lost a couple of days of revenue would be more than motivated to uh, to press those charges as far and as hard as they possibly can be, and you know I, I think it goes into a <laughs> I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I do think there's conspiracies, right? Where um, eggs is a huge thing right now. I mean they're five six dollars a a dozen. I mean it's all over, but it's because it's bird flu, right? And if you ask me, it's because somebody manipulated the market and they need to get out of it. So they create this scarcity aspect of things, right? The same as, you know, uh, a mad cow disease, right? I mean, beef went up and it never came back down. Lumber is is doing, I mean, it's coming back down, right? But like, there's, there's always a scarcity and, oh, hey, we can use COVID. But the amount of people that got rich off of this aspect that lumber got up to $12 for a two by four is just... There's got to be something behind it in a financial world, and it's not for the the Davids and I, right? I don't know if you're sitting on a few million trillion dollars, but <laughs> say, right? 
well, you know, like if I was sitting on any kind of significant resources, I'd just go ahead and build these marketplaces. Uh, so sadly, I am not sitting on anything like that. Uh, it is the case that it's become a very lucrative thing to figure out how to widen these marketplaces out. Um, and so in many cases, these, these price increases that happen at the consumer end don't filter back to the production end. True. Um, so I've been doing podcasts for about a year now. Uh, one of the things I was pointing out in the early days of the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, those are two of the biggest wheat producers on earth. Um, and the wheat market spiked almost immediately. And in response to that, uh, Canadian and American wheat farmers increased total uh, production by zero acres because none of that price spike got back to them. And it's not sensible to, to expand production in the absence of, of income. So uh, that's, that's, a, that's a real issue. We've been discovering more creative and vicious ways to, to stick crowbars into our economy and lever them out. And there's a lot of fortunes um, that are related to those discoveries and they're not, they're not economically valuable. Um, it's, it, it's, it's making all of us a lot poorer for a handful of us to have got richer. Now, some of that stuff is coming to roost. Uh, I've heard a few tales of people attempting to sell businesses that basically collapsed, um, uh, as valueless, uh, because, because the general economic sort of, you know, conditions that the business was, was based on undermining had been undermined to such an extent that the business wasn't actually worth anything anymore. Um, but as, as satisfying as those types of stories are, uh, it's, it's not really enough. So let's just pretend we're in the future and, and your patent gets approved and you're good to go. How do you market this to everyone? Um, pretty much the way this conversation we just had right here, um, you know, except to, to potential operators or brokers, uh, walk through how the system works, what it can do for them, uh, what it does for their client base, and consequently why they'll be able to acquire and maintain a client base, uh, and, and, you know, hope for the thumbs up and that they want to get rolling with it. And uh, say, so when, I mean, are you, are you going to be going to um, help me out with the chicken, um, Tyson? Right? Okay, yeah. Tyson, are you going to be going to like Tyson um, and to have them on, the, on that side start using this type of stuff? Or are you going to be going to the chicken farmer, which I think Tyson actually owns their own chicken farms and then they do the thing. But, um, uh, right. So we had, the, we had the three, right? We had the consumer, we had the purchaser, um, the money, and then we also had the person producing it. Um, <clears throat> so like, are you going to try to sell it to all three aspects of people? So... I'm selling to operators basically, uh, and operators need to be able to have a client base of producers and consumers along with potentially some informed speculators. Uh, but 
if they're currently operating markets, they they actually have those. And if they want to be operating markets, then they're going to need those. So that's not that's not a big lift for a person in the operator uh, zone. Um, I'm not opposed to sort of going direct to the consumer, uh, but again, that gets into the problem of actually setting things up, and there might be capital requirements. Uh, and so I'm not I'm not really at this point trying to go out and and knock off people on a one by one basis, or even pick out an industry to focus on and and dive deep in. Uh, I'm I'm taking targets of opportunity as they come to me. Uh, to to try to get different industries. So um, I've just actually had a couple of different people with some contacts in the beef industry to, to go after. So I'll be going after those contacts and see if there's anything there. Um, if, if the two of you happen to know a bunch of people in apples and you're like, you know, Michigan apples really need markets, uh, then, then I, would, I would get rolling on that. Um, but that's that it's 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 a very chicken and egg problem space that I'm in right now and uh and so I'm just trying to to spread the word as far and wide as possible sure um I guess where where and how did you find the people in uh, South Africa and Singapore um well, so the uh, the person in Singapore, uh, I talked to, I, I live in the town I grew up in. So I actually took economics at college here in, at UVA here in town. Um, I talked to uh, an introductory economics professor of mine. He introduced me to a bright student of his that he was, you know, had been sort of a protege. Uh, that student introduced me to a friend of his that was, uh, attempting to get a business started creating markets for recycled materials. And that friend of his, who's become a friend of mine, uh, introduced me to another friend of his that was doing crypto trading out of Mexico City. And, and he and his partner had uh, some ins with some Singapore money people and wanted to set up their own marketplace. Okay. Let's say that's right. People I mean, shaking hands is huge. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, the, the other one was a lot more direct. Um, it was a, it was a coldish outreach on LinkedIn. Um, but I'd had a few dozen podcasts published by then. So by the time we got to chatting face to face, he'd actually had a chance to see me explain this to a few other people. And so he was, he was pretty warmed up by then. And, and we had several conversations and, you know, signed some paperwork and he's, he's doing, he's doing work. So we'll see where it goes. And what do you do for a, a, a day job? Are you strictly focused on this or do you have a, do you have a. I'm currently strictly focused on this. I've okay. had a day job before. Um, I may well return to that. Uh, depending on how this year goes, um, sure. or or some other day job, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a professional algorithm developer, so I can do data science, data analytics. Uh, I can build backend systems like nobody's business. Uh, very comfortable with SQL databases. Um, uh, I've built systems to do uh, version control and uh, build maintenance for a company with over 200 developers. Um, I've built spam cannons before. Uh, like uh, the, 
if, if, if you have back office automation tasks, like I, I know how to do that kind of thing. Sure. And no, so, so, I mean, you're really, I mean, you're focused on this. You're trying to get it going. Um, when's your court date? Sorry. Do you have that yet? Uh, I have been assured that it will not happen before September. It might oh. happen in September, but it certainly won't happen before September. So at least courts run so fast. It's just <laughs> surprising how that works. <laughs> um, so Noah, anything else that you want to tell us, let us know um, any question that we might've forgotten. Uh, this was pretty good. Um, I mean, I, you know, if you pull the string on me, I can go for days on virtually any topic you care to imagine. So uh, I don't necessarily want to talk your ear off. I thought, I thought you guys did a, a, a great thorough job actually. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. So, trust me, our, that's how our, our, our brains work to just, right, I want to hear your topic, I want to think, and I'm going to ask you a million things about it. So um, really, we appreciate you joining us. Um, I, I have to give a shout out to uh, my Bud Light and uh, Mobcraft. My Amber was pretty decent. I, I enjoy good Amber. So I called, called an audible. I know, it was I, I was going to call you out today. I went for an uh, from the Athletic Brewing Company, an Upside Dawn Golden Ale, yeah, which is actually non-alcoholic. Very good. There you go. Um, and I got two more for our next episode, which will be coming up. See, like thirty minutes. Not even. That's yeah. a, we have a back-to-back -back book. Yes. Um, we appreciate you. Thank thank you so much for joining us. Um, let if you wouldn't mind, I guess let let our viewers know where they can find you and how they can reach out to you. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, you can find me on LinkedIn, Noah Healy. Uh, you can reach out to me at noahphealy at yahoo.com. And there's a website, uh, Cordisc, C-O-O-R-D-I-S-C, which is my company name, uh, where you can learn more about this system. I call it Coordinated Discovery Markets. Um, I've checked. You can actually search Coordinated Discovery Market on, on the major uh, you know, search engines, and the top several things will all be links to my product so excellent <laughs> that's great um again i say stick with us for a couple seconds yeah so. twitch hang out because we're not really going anywhere on twitch um everybody else as always like subscribe share tell your friends tell your family we appreciate you joining us hope this episode gave you some uh, new insight in to box and brews you might hear something you can use like tips on your cash or tips on the suds you're gonna want to use the smarts of these stuff because they know the brews and they know the box and they know they can't help the stubborn fucks so listen up because shit's not funny and save yourself some beer money bucks and, and brews bucks and bucks and, and brews bucks and brews